Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, San Antonio Business Journal Editor-in-Chief Tony Quesada features Adam Hamilton, CEO of Southwest Research Institute. One of the largest independent nonprofit research and development organizations in the world, the Institute serves government and industrial clients, and its research scientists have led several NASA missions. Can you start by telling our listeners who may not be familiar with Southwest Research Institute what it is, what it does? Wow, that's a big question, Tony, because uh, the Institute is... Uh, so broad, but uh, fundamentally we are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does uh, applied research, engineering, and technology development to solve problems in spaces from deep sea to deep space, solving some of uh, humankind's most difficult and challenging issues. So we literally do everything from uh, deep diving submarines to managing missions for NASA, and building spacecraft. Now, it is a a very large institute. It's hundreds of acres, hundreds of employees. Can you describe what it looks like to readers who've never been that far out on the west side of San Antonio? Sure. We're about eight miles from downtown San Antonio, just inside Loop 410 on the west side. And our main campus is about 1,500 acres. Uh, we have uh, about 240 buildings on this campus. This is our, our headquarters. But we do have offices in other locations as well. Our, our biggest um, office outside of San Antonio is in Boulder, Colorado, where we uh, do a lot of space science. That's kind of a hotbed for space science. And then we have smaller offices at locations across the United States, primarily located to service clients. Uh, in Boulder and in San Antonio, it's the more general offices where we serve multiple clients. And then we have a subsidiary that has a big office in um, Austin. And we have um, a joint venture in China. So... Uh, we're kind of all over the place, but uh, certainly San Antonio is home. Now, outside of our main campus on the west side, we also have a locomotive technology center that's near downtown, and we also have um, some test ranges that we use that are further outside of San Antonio because some things might be too noisy to do here uh, at our current at our main location. And finally, can you kind of give the reader, uh, uh, the, the listener, I should say. Uh, a sense of the breadth of your clients? Well, the, uh, it's really a unique organization because um, typically, now, right now in the midst of the COVID pandemic, things are a little bit different, but typically we're about 55% funded by government clients and 45% funded by commercial clients. And there are other applied research organizations around the world, but uh, none of them have that kind of split in their client base. And everybody likes that because uh, what happens is that um, the, the commercial clients kind of 
drive some of the, the leading edge technologies, but the government clients are able to invest more and it's a little more stable. But it, it really helps us make sure that clients, either commercial or government, are getting the best available science and engineering to solve their problems. It's uh, remarkable, I think, that, you know, to be able to maintain that kind of split. And the kind of commercial clients that you have, what are some of the industries that you have clients in? I, I think the biggest uh, part of our commercial client base is in the oil and gas sector or the transportation sector. So uh, we do a lot of work in um, oil and gas and additives. The, those are the things that go in oil and gas to make them to make those uh, products burn cleaner and keep engines cleaner, et cetera. And we also do a lot of work with um, original equipment manufacturers, OEMs, you know, most of the major car manufacturers in the world to help them design engines or transmissions or other systems uh, for the products that they produce. So those are the biggest. And um, after that, it's probably uh, pharmaceuticals or robotics, uh, that are our biggest commercial sectors. So you got a lot of smart people roaming your campus every day. Can you talk about the energy of being on a campus that's teeming with so much scientific talent? Well, again, I'd have to go back to the pre-COVID days. Uh, we're operating now with uh, we're trying to minimize the, the number of staff members on at our site right now, just be, you know, just trying to help s slow down the spread of COVID-19. But uh, before that, it's very, it's very exciting, and there's so many things that happen that, that literally give me goosebumps. We have a, a cafe here on campus, and it, it's uh, staffed by our, our own staff. And um, typically, it's a, a really a, it's a great space to have something we call collisions, where we may have experts from. Uh, engine design and pharmaceutical experts that come in and they'll sit down and have lunch at the same table. And it's because these, these persons, uh, the women and, and men from these different divisions are friends because we also do a, a lot of um, extracurricular activities. We have our, our own uh, athletic leagues for most of the major sports and we have a lot of other kind of social events to encourage that interaction between all these different technical disciplines. And that's really one thing that I think gives us, uh, it sets the Institute apart is because we can really provide, truly provide multidisciplinary solutions for really tough problems. Of all the different types of research that, uh, that the Southwest Research Institute does, what do you think people might be the most surprised to learn that you do? Well, I think people would probably be surprised to know uh, the amount of um, space work that we do. We manage uh, multiple NASA missions. Some of it might be more familiar to our the listeners would be the uh, New Horizons mission, which we actually uh, started in the early 2000s and uh, built the spacecraft, or we built parts of the spacecraft, and then it was launched in 2006 and flew for nine years to fly by Pluto at a relative speed of about 32,000 miles per hour. 
and it captured incredible scientific information and imagery that's still being studied even five years after the flyby. And then you might recall that uh, on New Year's Day of 2019, that same spacecraft flew by another object that's outside of Pluto's orbit, and uh, that object was, uh, again, uh, it was a serendipitous discovery that one of our other scientists made. We were able to change the course of the spacecraft that flew by this object and collected incredible science on uh, an object that is kind of outside of our solar system but is made up of the same kinds of things that all of the objects in our solar system are made up of. We're also in orbit around uh, Jupiter right now. We're finishing up a mapping mission called Juno that is is really going to provide information that's going to rewrite the books on, on Jupiter. Uh, we have other uh, missions that are closer to Earth in low Earth or middle Earth orbits, um, mid-altitude orbits, doing everything like collecting uh, data for uh, hurricane models and also providing us uh, some insight into uh, wetlands and such. So I think uh, you know people might be surprised that um, we're, we're so heavily involved in space, but I think peop- what people would be most surprised about is really the breadth of the research areas. We, we do everything from research on uh, fire retardant materials and hazardous uh, materials that may be on fire to pharmaceutical design and development. Uh, right now we're building the world's largest mobile robot here on campus, we've designed the world's most fuel-efficient four-cylinder gasoline and diesel engines in the world in the last five years. We just uh, were able to uh, to release some some findings that we have in, uh, on a design of a new diesel engine that cuts diesel emissions by over 90%. We also work on trains and locomotives. Uh, of course, we do some Defense Department-type uh, of work, but uh, we also work in the food industry. Uh, we work in agricultural industries. So it's just an incredible be- uh, breadth uh, of work that happens. And typically, when you know the, here in San Antonio, at least locally, I, I think people generally uh, probably think that we're doing a, a bunch of classified work. And you know they're, they're shocked and surprised to find out that more than 90% of, of what we do is not classified um, and it's so broad. They may know us for our work in the automotive industry or the robotics industry or the pharmaceutical industry, but they may not have this this overall perspective of the breadth of science and engineering skills here at the Institute. Are there any types of research that the Institute does that to you are, are just the most fun, that are just make you well, excited? Yeah, trying trying to pick an area of research that is most exciting to me is is like trying to pick your favorite child. It's right. uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, I've had uh, some very technical experiences. My my formal training is in aerospace engineering and engineering in, in general, and um, I've done a lot of that kind of work in my career. But uh, I was fortunate enough to be um, I spent the first half of my career at an organization that did a lot of environmental sciences, and so I gained a lot of experience in chemistry and then uh, microbiology and later molecular biology and risk assessment. So I've, I've had these kinds of different experiences, 
uh, and it really gives me an appreciation for every field that we uh, work on here at the Institute. Uh, before I came to the Institute um, in 2014, I, I uh, had limited exposure or insight into some of the industries and uh, you know, they, so they have a, a lot of appeal to me because they're new and exciting. But then I also have a, a real uh, deep passion for uh, space science and uh, also some of the biological sciences. So uh, I really can't pick a favorite. They're all fun. There's so many different types of research that you do that the range almost seems limitless. Obviously, any organization has a finite amount of resources. Uh, you are a nonprofit, but you operate very much like a business, strategically and so on. So I was wondering if you could talk about the approach you take uh, strategically and, and perhaps even philosophically to decide what types of work you will pursue and undertake. We have a, a, a mission statement that is um, it's, it's very broad, but basically we have license to, to uh, do research and science, engineering, and technology in any field or any area that can really help improve the condition of humankind. So, we, uh, you know, that's very broad, uh, but there are areas that we, uh, we um, probably don't invest heavily in because uh, we are an applied research organization. And by that, I mean that uh, most of the research and development that we do here at at Southwest Research Institute is uh, is things that are are physically put into action and tested. So it's not like we're we're writing just a bunch of, of research papers. Most of our research activities involve uh, creating something, some hardware, some device, some chemical, some substance, or um, apparatus, and then testing and reporting on that data. So. You know, it's all um, it's all very applied types of research activities, and there are some areas where you know it would be difficult for us to compete because all that applied research. What that means is you you know you've heard that we have a very large campus here in San Antonio. It, it means that you have to have facilities, you have to have buildings and laboratories, uh, a lot of safety equipment, um, a lot of training to do these types of activities, and so. Those cost more than just um, maybe, um, and I'm not diminishing this, but like the soft sciences. If you're, you know, you're doing a, a study or a report about some kind of uh, uh, social issues or psychiatry or anything like that, there's a lot less overhead associated with it, and so we just wouldn't really be competitive in those particular areas. What types of research Southwest Research Institute isn't involved in do you think presents opportunities, the best opportunities for the future? Things that you're not in that you, that you think would be really uh, worthwhile getting into at some point? Our future is really about adapting and adjusting to change. And, you know, the COVID-19 events are a, an issue uh, that we are continuing to have to adjust to. So um, it's not really for us about identifying new areas. It's just about making sure that we are continuously evolving the research activities we do so that we're always relevant and always in demand. Because, as you mentioned, we are a not-for-profit, but we, what we like to say is we're also not-for-loss. 
We don't, uh, like a lot of uh, 501c3 nonprofit organizations, we don't uh, actively pursue philanthropy. Uh, we have very limited philanthropic uh, income. So we're just like a regular business, like you like you mentioned. You know, we have to do contract work or get grants, and we have to operate like a, a top-notch uh, for-profit business in order to keep our clients happy and to, to execute the research work in the time and budget that we're allocated. Uh, but we are we are spread very very uh, broadly right now, as we've talked about. Um, there's not too many areas, I think, that. Um, we could be in that we're not in, but the key is making sure that we adapt and evolve. For example, we for years we've been doing we're some of the world's leaders in the design of internal combustion engines and making them more efficient and cleaner, quieter um, resources for humankind. And well, you know, right now there's a real push to the electrification and hybridization of those vehicles. So we have to uh, invest uh, large amounts of capital and also invest in our people to gain new skills. So we're able to do research in this area as it changes and evolves. You've already mentioned that you do applied research, meaning you know, you're generally looking to solve a specific problem or a set of problems and for a particular client. But I understand you also will allocate some resources annually to theoretical research. And can you kind of talk about where research for research stake fits into uh, Swery's mission? Well, yeah, I guess uh, basic research is um, not something that we do too much of. And, you know, the, the research realm is it, it's not necessarily a binary. It's not, there's not research that is either just basic or just applied. But there are some of our research programs that do tend to be to be more toward that basic kind of research area, you know, basic research characterization as opposed to, to fully applied. And we also, you know, we have we do some activities that are are really at the kind of outer edge of, of research. Some of them might just be some more like routine testing in some areas. So. Um, one of the things that I, I think you might uh, be interested in is our internal research and development program. Uh, our um, COO, uh, Walt Downing, and my friend, uh, he runs our internal research program. This year, we might spend uh, about $10 million on internally funded research activities. And sometimes those are, are more focused on the, uh, the more basic types of research where our engineers or scientists might have a, a really good idea that uh, we would like to explore because it, it might uh, be a, a way for us to contribute to our overall mission while at the same time developing some intellectual property that uh, might position us to do research for bigger clients in the long run. You've also mentioned that COVID-19 pandemic uh, is having an impact on what you're looking to do. And I imagine it's also impacting how you do it. I was wondering if you could talk about how uh, SWRI is kind of dealing with it, what limitations, if any, has it caused, and, and how are you, uh, you know, compensating or, or getting around those types of limitations? Well, we've had to make a, a lot of adjustments because of, of COVID-19. Um, early on, it was about educating 
and informing our staff about the risk and transmission modes and mechanisms and ways that, that they could uh, avoid um, contact and infection. And um, that worked for, you know, a little while, but as the, the epidemic turned into a pandemic, we had to uh, start working from home. And um, you might imagine that some of that applied research I've been talking about uh, means that you can't do those things from home. Uh, your neighbors would probably frown upon a lot of it. So what we've had to do instead is take uh, precautions here on site. We've, we characterize or classify persons that really have to be here on site to do their work as uh, what others might call essential. For us, all of our employees are essential, but these persons have to be on site. So our on-site staff maintain, you know, stay here and worked through through most of the, the pandemic up to date. And that uh, fluctuated from anywhere between 30% of our staff to probably up to 45 or 50%. The others are, are able to, through, uh, you know, connectivity at work, to be able to provide a lot of our administrative functions or, or other functions while working at home. And then there's this third group that would kind of spend some time here on campus or at our other locations and some time at a remote location, typically their home. So that's been part of it. We've, we've had to um, uh, do the spatial distancing, of course, and modify some of our laboratories and practices so that we're able to, um, to do, we actually have to take more space to do the same work just to provide that kind of distancing, putting in some physical barriers, modifying the way that uh, people might move through certain areas and uh, break rooms and requiring a mask and those kind of things. And we also do the, the temporal distancing. So we've, uh, we've a lot of our operations have adopted some shift work so we can actually use the facilities with a lower density population, but the facilities are used for more hours during the day. So it's a combination of all those techniques uh, that have really helped us get through this. Adam Hamilton joining San Antonio Business Journal Editor-in-Chief Tony Quesada. In our next segment, Hamilton shares what his team is doing to battle COVID-19 when Texas Business Minds continues. I'm Rich Gergasco, President and CEO of Texas Mutual Insurance Company. To everyone who has been hard at work providing the things we need during this crisis, we say thank you. You truly are essential and we're proud to be on the job with you. More at TexasMutual.com slash on the job. Continuing our conversation on Texas Business Minds as Southwest Research Institute CEO Adam Hamilton joins Editor-in-Chief Tony Quesada. Combating the coronavirus is something that uh, uh, Southwest Research Institute um, is looking to do, or perhaps so. Could you elaborate on what kinds of things you, you're actually doing right now or expect to be doing? Sure. That's, um, that's a lot of fun. Um, early on, we got involved in um, screening uh, pharmaceuticals to find drugs that might be effective as antiviral agents against the SARS coronavirus 2, the causative agent of COVID-19. And we got involved because um, several years ago through our internal research and development programs, we developed uh, some software. It's called Rhodium. And uh, Rhodium has been around for a long time. And what it does is it takes the the structural um, image of the COVID-19 causative agent, the virus, 
and it identifies where certain where pharmaceuticals might be able to bind to that virus on the outside of the virus on this the proteins that are on the outside of it. And it's um, rhodium won a couple of uh, international competitions, first place uh, for being able to best predict what drugs might bind on these kinds of surface proteins. So when COVID-19, the structure first became available early in the pandemic, we, on our own, were able to screen over 2 million pharmaceuticals and identify ones that would at least bind to the virus. Now, it doesn't guarantee efficacy, but it does. it, it is a requirement for efficacy. So we could uh, then narrow down that list of compounds. We ended up with about 60 different pharmaceuticals that uh, we were testing um, in, in in vitro here, in you know, with um, with bacteria, or I'm sorry, with viruses and with um, biological cells to see if they really were effective or not. Um, and what happened was the Department of Defense got. Um, was familiar with rhodium already in some of our work, but they asked us to put that computer code, rhodium, on one of their supercomputers called Onyx, I believe. And uh, after we were we got the code installed on that computer, we were able to assess uh, over 40 million chemical compounds, mostly therapeutics, uh, to see if they might potentially be effective against the SARS coronavirus 2. So that's been a very exciting area for us, and work continues there. Uh, we also are, are working on two vaccine candidates. Um, one of them is through a very exciting uh, collaboration uh, here in San Antonio, Southwest Research Institute, Texas Biomedical Research Institute, UT Health San Antonio, and UTSA. We've all uh, gotten together and created a virtual organization that we call the Partnership for Precision Therapeutics. And... Um, We've received some outside uh, funding, uh, philanthropy, in fact, for that organization now. We're funding projects that involve researchers from all four of those entities. And we're actually uh, using, starting with a, a vaccine um, mechanism or, or platform, we call it, that is from another vaccine we're developing for tularemia and hoping to be able to take that vaccine and turn it into a, uh, a vaccine for COVID-19. And then for uh, another organization that's developing one of the more than 20 different vaccines that are under development right now, we're working on the uh, encapsulation. Uh, we have a lot of legacy expertise in uh, microencapsulation and nanoencapsulation. What that allows us to do is to create vaccines that uh, are stable so that uh, you don't necessarily have to have them in a liquid form and in a vial in a refrigerator uh, the stable vaccines can be reconstituted or they're stable in a liquid at, at room temperature or, or warmer so that once we do get a working vaccine, it can be easily uh, shipped and transported and taken to the field for widespread uh, vaccination of persons. So th- those are two areas. The other big area, I guess, is in personal protective equipment. Uh, early on, you might recall that the N95 uh, respirators or masks, most people call them, became in short supply. And so one of the concepts was, how can they be sterilized for reuse? So um, we took a path that in, in, uh, was basically to irradiate these um, these masks in a, a hot cell that we have here. And uh, we did that. And 
You know, it was research, and we found that uh, it was probably the, the most effective mechanism out there for neutralizing the pathogens, killing the virus on the mask. But unfortunately, we also found out that it uh, degraded the ability of the mask to be reused significantly. And that's because the N95 mask use electrostatic charge to do a lot of the filtration. And the radiation we were using on the mask was destroying that electrostatic charge. We also found that after about three or four trips through the uh, irradiation chamber that the mask started to physically fail. You know, the elastic became brittle and such. So that really, it wasn't as successful as we hoped it would be, but fortunately others had a lot of, of great success in doing uh, vaporized uh, hydrogen peroxide or uh, other methods of sterilization. So then we got involved in how do you make sure that those masks are still safe after they've been sterilized by one of these other mechanisms. And this is a great success story and another example of how the, uh, the multidisciplinary approach we take works. So we do a lot of work, as, you, as I mentioned, in uh, engines and emissions, and so we have some of the, of the world's best um, particle experts. We have a nanoparticle testing laboratory, and um, it's got incredible capabilities. And so they very quickly were able to retool so that instead of testing exhaust emissions for particular loads and such, we, we were testing uh, masks not only for, for particles, but also for small droplets and such. So we were able to um, to confirm the efficacy of the, the protection that was provided by these masks after various sterilization processes. So we worked wow. here in the state um, with a, a lot of, of different uh, hospitals. Uh, um, here in San Antonio in particular, we worked a, a lot, uh, Dr. Bryant also over at... Um, University Hospital has been particularly helpful, and uh, we've been able to provide them some assurance that the masks that they have developed or are using other sterilization techniques for are indeed safe for their staff to use. Wow. Wow. Hey, Adam, I want to take a pause on talking about Sway. I want to talk about you for just a minute. Uh, you're from, originally from Central Texas. Uh, uh, you're a University of Texas at Austin educated aerospace engineer with bachelor's and master's degrees from UT. I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit about your early career and where you've been that led you to where you are now? Sure. Uh, I'm actually a, a San Antonio product. Uh, my dad is um, from the south side and and beyond. He uh, actually lived out in Pleasanton um, for a lot of his formative years. And my mom was, uh, my, my grandfather was Air Force and retired here in South San Antonio, uh, off a of Couples Road, in fact. And uh, my mom was born here, went to high school here, and, and uh, my dad enlisted in the Marine Corps and spent his, uh, the first, most of his career in the Marine Corps. So we moved all around to Marine Corps bases, but San Antonio was always the place we'd come back to for holidays and such with the family. But uh, my dad retired when I was still in high school, and um, he wanted to be uh, not not so close to all the family, so they picked uh, Round Rock, Texas to retire to. I uh, finished high school in Round Rock, Texas, where I met Leslie, by the way, and then uh, just stayed there and went to the University of Texas. I picked aerospace engineering because I, I wanted to, to fly. I wanted to be a military pilot, actually, but... Uh, I wasn't able to pass the physical to, to get a pilot spot at the time, so 
I uh, went to graduate school and tried the physical again a couple of years later and still wasn't able to get in. So I just uh, went to work at a, a company in Austin that was uh, primarily involved in uh, environmental chemistry and uh, the environment and such, but they did some aerospace work. So um, that was a great opportunity, and uh, it ended up being even I took that job in 1986, and that really set things in motion for me to be where I am right now because uh, the company in Austin, it was called Radian Corporation, um, had people that had started it and were on the board there that also had connections to Southwest Research Institute. So um, I was at Radian from 1986, and in the late 1990s, it got bought and sold several times. And um, I, I uh, wanted to leave, but frankly, that was a, a big step. I'm, um, but I was uh, eventually kind of asked to take the business I had built up within Radian outside of Radian. They wanted me to, to take our, our organization and, and um, basically split off. So um, I, I did that. Uh, the, I've gotten that entrepreneurial uh, drive out of out of me now, <laughs> but fortunately, even when I started a new company in Austin in 2001, the institute was a part of it as well. Uh, they were the principal outside investor in that company called Signature Science in 2001, and um, I was the president and CEO of, of founded that company with people that left with me from Radian. And uh, that went from 2001 until uh, 2014 when my predecessor here at the Institute retired and the board of directors asked me to move from Austin to San Antonio. And um, Signature Science then became a wholly owned subsidiary of the Institute that we still own and operate. Hmm. It's just been an incredible path. And uh, I, I couldn't write a better story. I'm really thankful for the blessings and the opportunities I've had. That would be a tremendous responsibility. So I'm wondering how effective you are at, at turning it off and what do you do to get away? Well, you know, it's um, I'm not sure that I, I do uh, because I love what I do. I mean, it ha there's so many things to, to explore and to, to get satisfaction from. First and foremost, you know, the staff is just incredible. We have an incredible team here from... Uh, everybody that, you know, we have facilities providers and uh, all different types of skills and craftspersons here to uh, world-renowned experts in various areas. So, you know, I, I guess I'm a real nerd or a geek, and I, I just love all these different things. So if I get tired of one particular area, I can focus on another area. Um, you know, there's always the business part of it that we have to, to run, and sometimes that's not quite as fun as the science and engineering but um, particularly living here on campus, you know, it's sometimes I don't get away from it. For the first part of the COVID-19 pandemic, I I didn't leave the fence line of our campus for uh, over two months. So, you know, you don't really get away from it. Um, but that doesn't really bother me too much. It's part of who I am. It's, uh, it's the way I've always been is that, um, you know, work-life balance, I, I understand. But uh, to me, work and and life are are often uh, intersecting, so it, it's good. When I do get away, I, um, right before the pandemic, I was able to get away, and my wife and I went on a ski vacation and did dog sledding and 
Uh, we did a cruise last summer, and so, you know, we have opportunities to get away. But um, on a routine basis, I, I would have to say that, you know, it's just uh, it's finding a spot where you're satisfied and, and uh, uh, happy with what with how you spend your time and what you do, and um, I'm there. Hey, since you moved to San Antonio, you know, you have become uh, a community leader. People would see you as such. One might even say that it kind of comes with being a CEO uh, of such an important institution. So I wonder if you could talk about what uh, the Southwest Research Institute means to San Antonio and what San Antonio means to the Institute. Well, the first part of that, what um, Southwest Research Institute means to the community is, um, you know, we're really, the last five, five or almost six years now, part of my mission has been to really elevate the profile of Southwest Research Institute in San Antonio, but also in Texas, in the United States, and around the world. And... Um, that's important for a lot of reasons. Locally, you know, we don't do a lot of business, so to speak, here in San Antonio, not a lot of clients here in San Antonio. But if people in San Antonio uh, know more about what we do, that really helps our our staff members here in San Antonio have that a sense of pride. Uh, we do incredible things. You know, we're even in the United States, um, we're one of the top three, they're one of the three largest R&D organizations, 501c3 R&D organizations in the country. And I would argue that we're by far the broadest of any R&D organization in, in the United States. And getting that message out, you know, really, uh, I think is important because as a not-for-profit, you know, we um, we don't do a lot of the things that uh, people might have opportunities to do in, in a for-profit business. Like, you know, there's no equity in Southwest Research Institute that we can give out. In fact, you know, it's it's in a trust. Nobody has equity in Southwest Research Institute, but we can provide working conditions and a working environment and give people a sense of pride um, that really helps them stay motivated and, and focused. And San Antonio uh, gets from that, uh, you know, a lot of very good good paying jobs. And I, I think uh, we, we also try and we are a very good partner for the community, trying to. Uh, encourage uh, STEM careers, and um, you know a diverse economy is is a great thing. And so San Antonio is very strong outside of the pandemic era in hospitality and tourism and education and military. And then we're a big part of another part of the economy, which is uh, in the R and D area. So uh, I think it provides opportunities for people to have very successful and meaningful careers. Um, all good things for San Antonio. And what the Institute gets from this community is, first of all, we get incredible, incredible people and a real spirit of collaboration. Everybody here wants everybody else to be successful, and they'll do everything they can to help. And that kind of collaborative spirit is what's driven things like the San Antonio uh, Partnership for Precision Therapeutics I mentioned earlier, and just the, the general sense of collaboration. The San Antonio community just has this real feel of community that I, I really love and I think uh, helps make the Institute be successful. So I have one last two-part question for you, Adam. As CEO, what most often keeps you up at night? And the second part is what makes you most excited about the future for the Southwest Research Institute? 
Well, I, this uh, what keeps me up at most at night. Uh, we do a lot of engine testing, and um, as I mentioned, I live on campus, so sometimes we have engine testing that's that can be kind of loud, and it keeps me up at night. Um, but, you know, when I do wake up, I think, okay, well, at least that's good. That's revenue that we're generating with that engine running. But I, I think you meant are there, are there problems or concerns that I have that keep me up at night? And, yes, there, there are. You know, we, we are involved in um, it's a lot of people and a lot of responsibility uh, that I have to the, every, every employee, every staff member we have, not only here in San Antonio but around the world. Um, you know, they're depending upon me to help guide this organization to make sure that we continue to be relevant and continue to be able to offer careers uh, for persons that will allow them to enjoy life and to do the things that they would like to do and provide opportunities for their children that they want to provide. And that's a tremendous responsibility. You know, sometimes you can get worried about that, especially when there's economic downturns or you have a, a market or, or something that's uh, that's struggling. But what's exciting to me is um, the organization itself is so resilient. You know, we have all these we have a huge campus. We have all these buildings. We have incredible infrastructure and laboratories. But our most important asset are the people. Without those people, all these things that we have don't do anything. And our staff are incredibly resilient. Um, they're curious. They're creative. They're, uh, they support each other. They're collaborative. Um, and that's really exciting to see, to, to know that, you know, there's a lot of good people that um, are working to make sure that we have continued success. Uh, it, you know, it really helps me with that feeling like I'm so responsible for that success myself because success comes from every level in our organization, and uh, that's exciting. We're excited for you. And again, I want to thank you for being with us on the podcast, and uh, you guys uh, continue to do great work for San Antonio, uh, for Texas, and, and for everyone else. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate the opportunity to speak. Adam Hamilton, CEO of Southwest Research Institute, joining us. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals, and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.